Infinity, great job, great job. So good morning and welcome. I'm so glad you guys are here this morning. If I haven't had a chance to meet you yet, my name is Norman and I'm the uh, community pastor for Dripping Springs. And uh, you may be wondering, uh, surprised that Eric is not up here. He's covering for our, our Pflugerville campus for John there. So um, just glad to be here with you guys. And we're going to be talking about love in action. But before we get into that, I just wanted to share a little bit of a personal story. Uh, it's kind of on the PG side, so just be aware of that with your kids. But, but when I was a teenager uh, growing up, you know, we used to go to dances and whatnot, and, and there was this guy there, and um, for some reason, he hated my guts. He hated me, and because he hated me, I hated him back, and I didn't know why he hated me, and I had no idea why I hated him, but, but we just hated each other. We couldn't stand each other, and so I, you know, I would see him across the room, and he would just seethe at me, and I'd seethe back at him, and... Um, and so, you know, as I just think about it, as I'm telling this story, you know, maybe a part of it was, you know, in high school, you're, you're trying to figure out who you are, and, and you got to figure out, okay, uh, who am I, you know, what's my value, you know, I wasn't a believer at that time, so maybe I thought of him as less than me, and he sensed that, and uh, as I think about the, the, uh, the story I'm telling you, but anyway, so this guy, I hated him, and he hated me, and so I'm about to uh, uh, go off to college. I now be, have become a Christian. I'm 19 years old now, and I've become a follower of Jesus, and I'm about to leave college, and I find out that this guy is dating my sister, who is a little bit older than me. Oh, can you imagine? I hate this guy, and I'm not supposed to hate you because I'm now a follower of Jesus, a, a brand new follower of Jesus, but I still hate. <laughs> and so I just could not stand this guy. And so, um, but I left for college and then I came back um, and I was coming back and we were, there was a family gathering function. And so I was there and the family was there and he was there. And, uh, and but that night, it was a Sunday afternoon and my, that night my sister wanted to go to church with me um, and he didn't want her to go. I knew there, were, there was some tension there, but I just happened to be walking by a room in the house, and I saw out of the corner of my eye that he was, stand, he was ready to, with fist balled, ready to hit my sister. Yes, so you can imagine this guy I hate is about to, you know, standing there doing har trying to do harm to my sister. I quickly moved in, very calmly inserted myself between him and my sister, and I told him, look, man, you can do whatever you want to me, but you're, you know, you're not going to do anything to my sister. As I guided my sister out, and he was angry, he was yelling, but I managed to help gather my, guide my sister out of the house, and um, she went outside, and she jumped into the car with a friend, and they sped off, and she actually went on to church. Um, now, I turned, after we got her safely into the car, I turned to, to face him, uh, just thinking, look, I don't want any trouble. I just wanted my sister safe. And you know, sure enough, he just charged me. And so he charges me, and I, I managed to, to wrestle him in, into this truck and kind of pin him there, and I, uh, and I won't let him move. And he's, he's angry, and, and I said, look, man, I don't want to fight you. I don't want to fight. Can, can this just be done? He goes, yeah, yeah, fine, fine. So 
so I, I thought, I'm going to let you go. Okay, fine. I let him go, and he charges me again. And so I managed to get him pinned against his truck again, and I'm holding him there. I'm like, dude, I don't want to fight you. I don't want to fight. He's like, all right, fine, man. It's done. It's done. Just let me go. I let him go, and he charges me again. But this time, he manages to get me down to the ground. And so we're down on the ground, and we're wrestling around, and, and somehow something switched in my mind, and I didn't have that attitude anymore of, you know, you can do whatever you want to me. And I get to the position where I'm on top, and I've got his head, and I'm like, bam, into the ground. And I'm like, Norman, what are you doing? This is not what you're supposed to do. And so I stop myself, and I get up, and I'm like, dude, I don't want to fight. I don't want to fight. I'm done. I'm done. And he's like, he gets up, and he starts running after me. And I start running away from him. <laughs> and we're, like, running around in circles in the yard. He can't catch me. I'm a little bit faster than he is. And we look like little kids just running around. And he's so mad because he can't catch me. He's saying everything he could say to uh, stay mean to me that he could. Um, and then he jumps in his truck and he literally drives up on the curve into the yard trying to, trying to run over me. And uh, I managed to get behind some trees and he speeds off and he's angry. So within an hour or so, I get reports that you know, he's got a gun. He's coming looking for you. And so it, it, was, a, it was an interesting time. Um, but we're gonna pause there. I will say... Um, that my sister continued to see this guy after this incident. And so, but we're going to pause there to be continued. And uh, by the way, welcome, if you're new here <laughs> and joining us online. Um, we're well into this uh, eight-week series called The Sermon on the Mount. And today we're discussing love and action. And if, if you've missed a week or two, I encourage you to jump online, go to gatewaychurch.com, and check out the, the messages that you've missed. They've been really amazing, really powerful. So I just encourage you to do that. So in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus makes these six statements. And he starts them this way. He says, you have heard that it was said, dot, 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 but I say this. So in these statements, Jesus is inviting his disciples and us into a higher standard than the law can accomplish in the human soul. He's inviting, inviting us into something that the law can't do in us. And he makes it clear that he's not trying to abolish the law, but rather he came to complete it, to fulfill it, the law's intent, its motive, and its purpose. And as we heard from the scripture today uh, that Trinity read so well for us, we, we're exploring two of Jesus' teachings one which speaks on violence, and the other which speaks on loving your enemies. So throughout history, people have tried to twist and to minimize and manipulate and explain away Jesus' teachings. And some would say that, that his teachings are more geared towards social revolution. And, and, and it's hard to argue in some ways because we have seen people who have taken the teachings of Jesus and made a tremendous difference in countries and in societies through his teachings. But they might argue that, that it, they're not meant for our everyday lives. And so, but you need only to tune into the news or, if you're like me, look in the mirror to know that the things that Jesus is teaching about are universal human struggles. In fact, when we look all the way back to the story of the first earthborn humans, the brothers Cain and Abel, 
we see Cain as he struggles with jealousy and anger, and he chooses to violently take the life of his brother Abel. These are the first two earthborn human beings. So this is a struggle that goes way back. So we can read in Genesis 4, it says, Now Cain said to his brother Abel, Let's go out to the field. And while they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, where is your brother Abel? I don't know, he replied. Am I my brother's keeper? See, Cain's father, Adam, was appointed keeper of the garden. And keeping the garden was always about keeping a space for loving relationship to flourish, which is a picture of what God desires us to do in our hearts. So for Cain to be a keeper involved, for Cain to be a keeper involved in keeping a loving, caring space in his heart for another human being, that's what he was meant to do for his brother Abel. But Cain chose anger and hate and violence instead. So Abel's blood was spilt on the ground and Cain dodges God's question, where is your brother? Where's your brother Abel? And he, got, he lies to God in an attempt to absolve himself of the responsibility of his brother's life. So to answer Cain's question, am I my brother's keeper? Yes. You were meant to be your, be your brother Abel's keeper. And we are all meant to be each other's keepers. So... As we've heard in earlier messages in this series, Jesus' kingdom is upside down compared to the world and our culture. He's calling us to love others with a radical countercultural love. Jesus' way of loving turns the world's mindset and its values upside down. The truths Jesus taught have inspired just about every successful nonviolent revolution. We're talking about uh, societies that were elevated tremendously as a result of people adhering to Jesus' teachings, such as Gandhi and Martin Luther King and Nelson Mandela. So we've seen the power of what taking Jesus' words seriously can do in the world. But Jesus doesn't just call us to nonviolence. He calls us to be an instrument to break the cycle of violence and vengeance to sacrificially love our enemies. And, and, and he calls us to allow his teachings to transform our hearts and, and our character and to then allow him to inspire the same transformations through us in others. So if Jesus was serious about what he spoke in the Sermon on the Mount, then you and I can break the cycle of violence and vengeance in our world. So let's read. If you've heard, if you have heard that it was said, I'm sorry, you have heard that it was said, eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. And if anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. Give to the one who asks you, and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. So Jesus says, 
eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. It sounds gory, right? Because it is. But this is a legal term that allows for, the, for punishment to be equal. And we still adhere to this concept today in our legal system when we say the punishment must fit the crime. And it's a good thing because if you consider the alternative, it, it could get really dark, right? However, this form of justice still leaves two people missing eyes. And if you can imagine, no one is likely to be left feeling peaceful about missing their eye. Anger and hate very likely would remain in their hearts and of those two people. And, and, and that anger would probably spread to their family and friends too because they would feel for their, the person they care for. So Jesus is asking us not to resist evil. What does he mean? He means don't return evil for evil or bad for bad. Instead, when someone wrongs you, choose to forgive them and do good towards them. He's asking us to choose to create the opportunity for forgiveness and peace to be inspired in situations that would otherwise create enemies. And then he says in verse 39, if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. So most people are right-handed, right? So if somebody slaps you with their uh, slaps you on the right cheek and they're right-handed, they backhanded you. So this is, this is an insult. They're saying to you, you're beneath me. You're worthless to me. For someone to treat you as if you were beneath them and had less worth than them, it obviously reveals what they think about you, but it also reveals that they believe the very same about themselves but they're wrong on both accounts. God loves you and he loves them with immense love. And he places infinite worth on both of you. He proved it on the cross. So when Jesus says to turn the other cheek, it's a chance to turn and to look them in the eye and say, the way you treat me doesn't determine my worth. God does. And it makes it so that if they decide to take another blow, they know they're striking a person who understands their own worth. And the fact that you would stand and have the self-control enough not to retaliate and to stand with courage before them demonstrates that you understand your worth and their worth too, even if they don't. So let's look at the next verse, verse 40. If anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. So in these days, most people only had two garments, the inner shirt and the outer robe. If someone would sue you for your clothes, they're saying that what you owe them is worth more to them than your own human dignity. So when you give them your coat too, you're saying to them, you can't take my dignity, but I want to help you understand that we all have dignity, including you, clothes or no clothes. So this can shake a person awake into seeing others with dignity and compassion and perhaps even result in repentance in their heart. And then Jesus, he, he goes on and he shares 
this absurd idea about going the extra mile. See, if you understand what's going on in, the, uh, in, in uh, Israel at the time, the Romans are, are oppressing them. They've conquered them and, and they're oppressing them. They're in charge of them. They basically run their lives. And they have the freedom. There's a law that says you can stop any Jew you want to and you can force them to carry your load for a mile. So that person in humiliation has to drop whatever they're doing. They have to go carry that load for, for a mile and then they have to t- come back another mile. So it's really two miles. And Jesus is saying, he, again, he's going against the idea of fight and flight. And he presents us with this third option. He's telling them, do something radical as literally going farther than they demanded. And maybe on your journey, you can get to hear their story and how far they are from their family and the trauma that they've witnessed. And maybe you'll see, be able to see their humanity and maybe they'll be able to see yours. So in these examples, Jesus is not saying, don't seek justice. Scripture is redemptive. And, and by all accounts, it points towards seeking justice for the oppressed, for the hungry, and for the hurt. But we must be careful not to confuse our form of justice with God's. Ultimately, God is just. And while we partner with God to bring, to bring, in bringing justice, our need for vengeance can cloud our motives. So Jesus asks us to practice love and action in all situations. When we act in love and in reconciliation instead of vengeance, it changes everything. So if Jesus was serious, then loving God means loving your enemies. So let's read. You've heard that it was said Love your enemy and I mean love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemy and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. He causes the sun to rise on the evil and the good, and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are, you, are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you only greet your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even the pagans do that? So let me ask you a question. Who might, have, who might you have turned into an enemy in your own mind? Who have you not loved? The Republicans? The Democrats? Joe Biden, Donald Trump, or maybe people who have insulted you, persecuted you, falsely accused you. Many of you are probably answering, well, I'm pretty good at at, at being tolerant. But that's not what Jesus is saying. He's He's saying, go above and beyond, even for those you can't stand, even for those who who oppose you. Love them with a sacrificial love, a a sacrificial love that lays down your opinions, your objectives, and your agendas, the same type of love that compelled Jesus to the cross to lay down his life for all of us. 
And, but maybe you're convinced that you can't love your enemies. Let me ask you this. Can you pray for them? Not just for God to change that person, but to also ask God to help you see what he sees in that person, why he loves them. You may be thinking, you don't know what they did to me, how they hurt me. I can never talk to them again. I get it. But can you at least pray for them? Jesus understands that prayer shifts our view of people so that we can begin to see them as God sees them, to gain an understanding that every abuser was likely abused and that every every toxic relationship stems from someone being raised in a toxic environment. We don't pray to excuse away what was done. We pray for healing and understanding. So Dietrich Bonhoeffer frames the importance of prayer this way. A Christian fellowship exists because its members pray for each other. They don't, if they don't, the fellowship falls apart. No matter how much the trouble he gives me, I can't judge or hate a brother for whom I pray. Through prayer, his face, which may have seemed strange and unbearable to me before, changes into the face of a brother for whom Christ died, the face of a sinner who has been forgiven. So Bonhoeffer is certainly talking about the church here, but I believe Jesus wants us to reach beyond the walls of the church and love those who are not in the church as well. So the love, the grace, and the mercy that Jesus offers, it flows from the from the cross in abundance for all of us. But it's easy to to love those who love us, Jesus said. Even the pagans and tax collectors do that. What's difficult is loving people who vote, think, express, dress, live, and act differently than us. And it's even more difficult to love people who flat out insult you or persecute you or falsely accuse you. Loving those opposed to our views spiritually or socially or politically does not mean that we must agree with them. We have believed for way too long that if we hang out or associate with people and, and love people that we disagree with, then we by default are aligning with everything that they believe. It's just, it's not true. Remember, Jesus hung out with tax collectors and sinners. So why does Jesus say to love our enemies? It's because he knew when we love someone, we perceive to be our enemy. They no longer remain our enemy. For some of us, we don't like that. We're so geared towards us versus them. We tend to think we need someone else to point to for all our problems and hurts. Here's the truth. We do have an enemy but it's not each other. Only the enemy wants us to have enemies because when we do, our focus is not on loving God and loving others. And that's what Satan's entire mission is, to keep us from that. But to be people who are transformed into the likeness and image of Christ, we must allow his words to pierce our hearts and define our character more than our traditions do. 
if Jesus was serious, then his words must define our character more than our traditions and our culture. In verse 48, it says, be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. So you're thinking, wait, Jesus wants us to be perfect? We're not going to be able to come to Gateway anymore, Norman. <laughs> now, the word actually is it's better described as being perfected. And we aim to be whole, complete, and mature followers of Jesus. Luke 6 puts it as be merciful just as your father is merciful. So while the word merciful used by Luke is different, it still points us towards Matthew's word of being perfected in mature, whole, as mature, whole people. So to extend mercy is not only a part of God's character, it's what God desired from humanity. It's what he desires from humanity and from humanity towards humanity since Cain stood over his brother Abel to kill him. For I desire mercy, not sacrifice, an acknowledgement of God rather than burnt offering, it says in Hosea. So Cain had an opportunity to show his brother Abel mercy, but instead he considered him an enemy and he chose to hate him. And it wasn't that Abel did anything wrong, but from Cain's skewed perspective, Abel's life needed to end. And what we learn is this, our perceptions, our microaggressions that go unresolved over time to point to that, that you've already made up your mind and about someone and what we think is right, all these things can lead to the persecution and the hatred of others. So I'll talk about that guy again who was being abusive to my sister and she continued to uh, be in a relationship with him. And so she would still bring him to family gatherings. And I was at this one gathering and, and I found out that they're coming and I just could not stand this guy. Again, I'm a follower of Jesus at this time, but I hated him in my heart. And sure enough, right after I heard they were coming, there's a knock on the door, it's them, I hear their voices, and I disappear. I go, I go into the bathroom, because I just, I, I'm, I can't bring myself to see this guy. I do not, I just wanna hurt him. That's all I wanna do. And I can feel God's voice. I can hear God's voice telling me, Norman, give him my love. And I'm like, God, I can't do that. And he's like, Norman, give him the love that I give you. Give him my love. I can't, God. I'm on my knees in the, in the bathroom praying, crying, asking God, I can't do this, God. I hate him. Give him my love. And I get up, and everything in me wants, doesn't want to. And I walk out. And I see him, and I walk straight up to him, and I stick my hand out. And before he knows it, he sticks his hand out, and I grab his hand, and I pull him in, and I hug him. And before he knows it, he's hugging me back, and I say, I love you, man. And it's all awkward and weird. He's awkward and weird. But something shifted. In that moment, something shifted. Because from that point on, the abuse, the violence diminished. 
the violence diminished. He started treating my sister better. The love of God does something that we, sometimes we can't even get our minds wrapped around when we give it to a person who doesn't deserve it, because none of us did. So if we're going to be disciples of Jesus, his words must define our faith and our conduct more than our thirst for vengeance, more than the battle lines of politics, more than the pursuit even of happiness, more than the, the culture of our origin, more than the desires, than our desires and our aspirations. Remember that Jesus said, blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. And blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So the band is going to lead us in this next song. And I want you to pay attention to the lyrics. What if the people you and I have alienated, fought with, uninvited from our family functions, are just as loved by God as you and I are. Let's listen, I'll be back in a minute. What if Jesus is okay with of him remain a mystery What if Jesus is just smiling When I think down here I must know everything What if my views don't reflect his fullness And there's still so much of heaven too See, what if trusting him is what he's looking for? Would that be good enough, good enough for me? What if Jesus sees what I miss and he does not share my thoughts on politics? If his body bridges chasms that I've dug out in my own self righteousness, what if people I don't agree with are the same ones pouring the perfume on his feet? What if Jesus gets the whole of his reward? Would that be beautiful, beautiful to me? What if Jesus desires mercy? Judging others for their deeds. Cause if I have this heart and friendship, then I must know he loves the liars 
in the thieves But if I spend life in his vineyard Then that midnight he redeems my enemies What if trusting him is what he's looking for must know he loves the liars and the thieves. So what does this mean for us as we follow Jesus? Or maybe you're in this room unsure and you're exploring faith in Jesus this morning. For the seekers and for the doubters in this room, I would say keep in mind that although virtually every nonviolent revolution in history has its origins in the Sermon on the Mount, the real revolution is a revolution that can happen in your heart when you place faith in Jesus. It's as simple as saying, Jesus, I give you my life. And for all of us, the cycle of anger and bitterness and hate and violence in our world, in our family history, in our own hearts, it can be broken. Jesus offers freedom for, for us all from this cycle. Therefore, if we're going to be disciples of Jesus, his words, his life, and teachings must define our faith, our conduct, and our character. We must be people who extend mercy, not vengeance, who love, not retaliate, who pray for others, not persecute. What Jesus is calling us to do is to love others, the people who are easy to love and the people who are not easy to love. The people we consider allies and the people we would call enemies. We're to love the lovable and the unlovable with a love that transcends hate, bitterness, and vengeance. We're called to love others as if Jesus died for them. 
as if he laid down his life of infinite worth for them because he did. Let's pray. Father, what an amazing picture for us that you would lay down your infinite life on behalf of each and every one of us. That you would say, I determine your worth and by the price I'm willing to pay. I determine how much you're loved by the sacrifice I'm willing to make for you. And you create an infinite worth and an unending love on our behalf for us. I pray that we would let that sink in, God, that we would understand just how you see us, God, that you, we would understand just how much worth you place on us, that we would begin to grasp the depth of your love for us, God, and that we would then be able to love our neighbor as ourself, God, that as we understand just how deeply we are loved, that you love our neighbor that that you would help us, God, as we go into the rest of this day and this week, God, you would help us to love others, that you would love them through our lives, Father, in a way that inspires your kingdom, as we say, life by life. We thank you, God, for your love. We thank you for your grace. We thank you for your mercy. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you guys so much.